Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Turn on the cooker. Cooker spell with a Q U. Turn on the cooker and instantly make a brew. Turn on the cooker, cooker spell with a Q U. Turn on the cooker, hot water for vegetables too. Yes, this podcast is sponsored by Cooker Spelts Quicker, pronounced cooker boiling hot water straight from your kitchen tap it does hot water it does cold water it does 100 degree water it does chilled sparkling water and does normal chilled water i've done those the wrong way around as i normally do doesn't but matter it does, but it does, it, does it, it does them all it does them all it does them all it does your vegetables it looks it does great your brew it looks great and i want to thank them so much uh, for sponsoring the podcast i also use it for cleaning as well when you've got like, a lot of stuff and it's you know like you've got meat juices oh, stuck yeah. in something get the hot, hot water, water hot water on it it's safe as well because it's got a safety device on it often people go oh, aren't you gonna burn yourself and scourge yourself no you don't because it's got the push and turn um feature on it which means that it's uh pretty tough um to uh burn yourself on it you have also, to learn how to use it also ecologically much more sounds than a kettle yeah it does it uses vacuum no idea how it uses vacuum but it uses vacuum it heats up the water and then keeps it hot so that's the way it works it doesn't keep heating up like a kettle i absolutely love my cooker if you if you if you seriously if you're having a thought new kitchen or you're thinking well what what could i do you know in my kitchen get one of these because they are <laughs> absolutely brilliant Welcome to the award-winning Dear Love Joy podcast, and it's a special Woo-hoo. today's guest. He's one of life's good guys. He's so much fun to hang out with. He's Tom Carriage. He's a chef, a three Michelin star chef, two on uh, Hand of Flower, which is a pub which you've been to, Mark. I have, and it's it's uh, astonishing. Yeah, it's first pub to get two Michelin stars. It, they were both deserved. Um, I think I ate both of them. The food was fantastic, was it? He's such yes, a lovely guy. Yes. Um, in this interview, we learn a lot. He just tells you a lot about the the industry and all the chefs and the rock and rollness of it all and everything else. I think you're absolutely going to uh, thoroughly enjoy this. Um, and all the way through it, and I know, get don't listen to this if you're too hungry. Oh, yeah. Or if you're fancying your pint. Or if, oh. you like, if you like big. He does talk about food and he talks about alcohol as well. And you do, you do think, oh God, I really like something to eat now. Um, anyway, this is him from my kitchen, Tom Carriage. This is just a guide to modern life. Modern life is hard to get just right. It can frustrate you and annoy. And if it does, Right into dear love, joy. Tom, welcome to my kitchen. Thank you for coming here today. Um, all my guests, I buy a present. And I've, 
I've actually repeated myself here, but I think it's for a good reason. This is the same gift that I gave Alistair Campbell. And Alistair Campbell's a really busy guy. And, he's, yeah. and I think you're a busy person. Um, you do a lot of work and you've got a lot of restaurants. Yeah. And, you, you know, with your restaurants, your TV work and everything else. So this is uh, Heyman Soon- Soonim. He's a, he's, a, he's a Buddhist monk from South Korea. And this is like my Bible. I read this whenever I'm... It's, it's called The Things You Can See Only When You Slow Down. It's a brilliant gift to buy people. And um, uh, if I don't say so myself, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's got some really lovely things in there. I'll just read one of them uh, to you. It's basically just, it's just little bits uh, on each page. Um, so, uh, are you moving up? Are you doing well? Then see whether you are succeeding at the expense of others or along with others. If you shove others aside on the way to success, then you'll be pulled under once the tide changes. I think that's very valid. So it's just loads of lovely little things. Like that. It's kind of like what my Bible. Very this. kind thing. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, take, a, take, take some time out just to read a couple of them every now and then, because I, I read it all the time. And ever, whenever I'm feeling slightly agitated, I, I listen to what Heyman Suman says and, and he calms me down. Um, so I was because I most of the guests I buy wine or food but there's no point in buying new food or wine because you get it all for free don't you I, well, no, well no I still have to buy it but <laughs> I can get it at wholesale prices it's slightly different I don't get an awful lot for free but every now and then you get sent stuff which is nice I mean you must get the same people send you things yeah they do yeah. whether it's music tracks or bits and bobs you know all those cookbooks sort of or cookbooks cook yeah, I mean I don't know if this is, has been mentioned before in this kitchen but I just want to say that Tim's cookbook collection is incredible it looks amazing and beautiful and that's it looks amazing and beautiful because the collection of cookbooks that Tim has in his kitchen he has them on the shelves due to the colour of the sleeve <laughs> not actually to the content of the book so his cookbook collection looks amazing it's true <laughs> it's, 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 what, it's, it's what I do it's how I select them um uh, I, on the way I was talking to Mark on the, as you were coming in I went oh I wonder if Tom's book's up there and uh, Tom's table is up there behind me and it's a nice because it's kind of um, what, what colour would you say I would say it's a creamy kind of creamy, off grey colour yeah, and it's nice. suits the kitchen yeah. very well <laughs> but I've got pink ones and yellow ones I never read any of them but they look beautiful they're a nice little collection of vibrant colours there but if I'm looking for a, if I'm looking for a recipe genuinely this is what I do the first thing I do is I think has Simon cooked it Yeah. and if Simon's cooked it I think I'll look it up and try and find that or if I'm trying to think of something I just I just go online I think a lot of people do that don't they Yeah. and then I look for my favorite chefs online do you have a lot of do you put a lot of your recipes online well, I, to be honest they go online after they've appeared on tv through the, like, the bbc website i don't yeah. do a lot of online recipes it's not i've, I've not I, i've not branched out into posting everything online in terms of recipe content um if it comes to the tv shows they do often go online in conjunction with the show yeah um but like you say people do genuinely just google chicken breast curry sauce and see what comes up although if you have got a good mate like simon rimmer then you know that's not a bad place to start to be honest with you i mean simon's knowledge of food is phenomenal but you know it it is especially on um accessible cookery if you think of the show that you'd go yeah, to do yeah, every yeah. Sunday I mean the amount of recipes that Simon has to come up with and he's constantly driving and thinking of great things for, for people to actually cook at home yeah. not just chef stuff yeah. things that people want to do and that's really important and there's a difference between what you can do in a, a commercial kitchen and what you're going to be bothered to do at home, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, hugely. You know, commercial kitchens are, for, you know, you have the hand of flowers. We've got, I don't know, 15 chefs on a service. No one's got 15 chefs at home, have they? Yeah. I mean, Simon might have, but <laughs> everybody else, you know, when you come in from work, we've all got busy lives. So when you come in, 
You want, to, you want to open a fridge, see what's in there, stuff that you can stick in a pan, get it done in half an hour and sit down and eat it. Every now and then you aim to do something a bit longer for the weekend if you enjoy cooking. Yeah. And, and, that's where, and that's where the recipes for, for home cooking come in. As long as there's a bit of technique in there and drives flavour forward, that's, it's a very different skill set that writing books and doing recipes for the home cook rather than just on a professional basis. Simon made me buy that cooker when I did the kitchen out because he said, you'll have fun with that. And it's true. I do yeah. have fun. It's a, I mean, my cooker's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Big, big, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely semi-professional yeah, stove, is, I'd say it? that is. And it, it, it does make a difference. I think if you enjoy doing stuff, and it, it's not just food and cooking at home, it must be the same as like, I've got no idea about it, but DIY, if you enjoy yeah. doing that, if you've got like a really good drill and a super hammer and a re, re, buy yourself the proper nails and screws and bolts and stuff it must feel better putting it together and that's the same sort of thing as cooking and being in a kitchen you know if you've got really nice kit it works better you enjoy using it more Simon once said to me and you can tell me whether this is true as well he said when you get a nice cooker like that you've got a better range of heat whereas a lot of the cookers which because my mates were laughing at me when i said i was getting this yeah i did get quite a nice discount on it it's what a wolf one by the way it's fantastic it's beautiful but um uh he says you get a re- sometimes on the on the the lesser cookers it's hot or off yeah <laughs> that's basically and chefs like a range and they like it to react quickly is that right yeah exactly that you do need a range you do need to you do need to be able to control that's the main thing being able to control it because you know and, and the, the next thing that comes from that is if you've got the control that's amazing but you then also need to invest in pans you know pans that yeah. conduct heat evenly and correctly and it all it's always getting quite anal but to the point it really does make a difference when you're cooking things at home even just something like a simple risotto on a controlled heat with a pan that has even conduction suddenly all the rice starts cooking at the same time everything you're stirring yeah. it it feels the bubbles are nice and all of a sudden you start enjoying cooking a risotto and the end result will be better jeremy pang uh, do you know Jeremy Payne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, the food he does on our show, it works so well because it's simple, yeah. it's easy, and it's so tasty. He does the Chinese food and he said to me once on the show, uh, I said, I bought a wok and he goes, what's it like? And I went, yeah, I'm not sure how it's working. He goes, you want thin and cheap because you want the heat to go in really quickly and to come out really quickly. And he goes, that's how you cook, so thin and cheap with the wok. And I've always say it on the show and one, the last time he said, stop saying that because I'm trying to sell them now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to sell the cheap ones anymore (laughs) but it's funny because because that that style of cooking they want to get the heat and the food really quickly yeah and as someone like me who knows not i i know now enough about cooking i've been doing it for 10 years with simon 11 years you suddenly see that the range of heat and how you get the heat and the food really is important for you guys and because we just go and eat the food if you go to like a chinese style restaurant or uh or um a thai restaurant or something for them all the food is in the preparation all the all the all the cookings in the preparation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, like every restaurant, to be honest, it's all about the prep work. People say when, you know, you're a chef, why are you starting at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning when yeah. lunch doesn't start till 12? Well, it's all the prep work. And that all that prep work means that when lunch service comes or dinner service comes and you're doing 70, 80 people, it, 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 you can turn it around quickly because you've got vegetables chopped. You've got things prepped in advance. You've got all stuff ready to go. And it, so much of making your life easier. It's the same when you cook at home. If you, you've got so many people when they come to looking at cook 
cookbooks and they do a recipe thing. And, oh, that sounds nice. And they start cooking it as they're reading the recipe as they're going along. And then it says, and marinade for 24 hours. Yeah. And you're like, don't, yeah. you know, <laughs> you've got to read the recipe yeah. and that understanding of getting things prepped. If it says dice onions, right? Well, you could dice them, put them in the fridge, dice peppers, put them in the fridge. Like you work it all out. And then when it just comes to throwing it all together, it makes it so much easier. When I did MasterChef, I worked in a, a, a Thai restaurant. That was one of the things they did. They first of all made me work in um, uh, the ambulance service. That was such hard work making Whoa. making dinner for them. I had to make um, spaghetti bolognese for them all, and then and then I had to work in a, a, a Thai restaurant, and I hated every minute of it. I've got to tell you, I just I don't know how you guys do it. It's so hot. It is, yeah. And it's like there's no pace to the day. No, it's like just like service is here right you're on it full yeah. time now yeah, yeah. fat spitting up your arm you're getting burns everywhere yeah. you're boiling hot you're sweating and and then at the end they're like do you enjoy it i'm like no that was horrible <laughs> <laughs> what's well, so much of it i think if the most successful chefs and the most successful restaurateurs are the one that actually enjoy that yeah you know that that buzz that adrenaline kick that you get from it it's amazing but it is a fine line between wow this there's this this big you know with that pleasure and pain thing where you get this this is so painful and then when you've finally done it you go wow what a joy and elation kind of thing comes over you but and you get that twice a day for lunch and dinner but there are some times where it just feels like it's pain. This is yeah. painful. Well, this I, is horrible. Do, do you know what? I was all right because I was confident. I think I, I just didn't, this sounds bad, but I didn't care enough. Like when I was a yeah. waiter, I was never nervous because it was like, you know, I'm making someone's dinner here. They're not going to kill me if I, if I mess up. Some people walk into a kitchen and they're so nervous. Yeah. And we have it on the show on Sunday brunch where people are in the kitchen. They're like, don't get me to do anything. I can't do anything. Why do you think cooking conjures up that nerve thing for people? I don't know. I, th- I think because maybe people don't, but, uh, aren't used to doing it and like you say it's a confidence thing like you've been watching and being involved with Simon for 11 years you've yeah. seen you've seen people around food and you see that it's it's not the be all and end all and making things you know it, you recognise that if you buy nice ingredients at the end of the day they are still going to taste quite nice even if you even if you mess them up a bit in the oven or they do overcook or they're undercooked a nice ingredient is still going to be a nice ingredient tastes yeah. nice and you have to put a lot more respect or an understanding in in the ingredient and the cooking process. And I think if people don't do that a lot at home and they haven't got the confidence to do it or they can't be bothered with the time scale of it, like it's a lot easier to just have a pre-packed meal or you know some sort of ready meal from the supermarket and that's all they do, they don't enjoy it, then when you ask them to do something, it's completely out of their comfort zone and that makes them nervous. And then I suppose throwing it into live TV, <laughs> then yeah. they're going to feel massively exposed, aren't they? But I thought so a lot of people at the moment want to be shy. It became really rock and roll, what, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 well, yeah, years ago? Well, yeah, 20, 25 years ago. Marco Pierre White's cookbook, That's, I mean, that was the turning point. So it was all, all those amazing cookbooks you got behind you, they never used to look like that. They were always... Um, they were always like textbook style. It was always like almost French cooking. You have La Russe Gastronomique behind oh, yeah. you, which is which is one of the first <laughs> and most amazing cookery books with all the recipes from Escoffier in it. So so they are classic, incredible French. There's there's dishes in there that like take one whole chicken stuffed with 30 truffles. It's like those are the sort of dishes <laughs> that, you know, no one ever cooks. So they're, they're amazing dishes. They taste fantastic. But that's what that, food used but Tom, to be. That, that book's black, so I'm not sure how long it's going to last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't sit right next to the yellow and the pink books. I've got to be honest. But the idea of it, though, that that, that is quite textbook and quite classic. And 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 
that's quite daunting it's almost like if you don't enjoy cooking that's like reading a book on i don't know physics or a book on history or yeah, a book yeah. on if it's not your thing then it's, there's no enjoyment about it and then all of a sudden marco pierre white's cookbook um white heat came along and right. it was all the photographs were taken by a fashion photographer called bob carlos clark and it, it showed this kitchen being rock and roll and loads of energy and buzz and there was a bloke there with scraggly hair who was smoking cigarettes with a butcher's apron on and you know there was fire and then there was you know pictures of two chefs having a play fight and th- it just felt like there was an it suddenly set it alight and it was there was vibrancy there was, was so much energy coming from this book and then the back pages the, the second half of the book were pictures of the food which are almost like timeless classics so you've got these wonderful beautiful color photography pictures of the book of, of the food which is like really engaging and beautiful and then the front half of it, all these black and white pictures of this high energy high octane kind of like i i suppose rock and roll punk rock style uh, pictures that were coming from that looked like it could have been taken from a rock band of people stage diving or all this sort of stuff but it actually it was a kitchen it was a small kitchen did, in wandsworth and did, you go this is cool did it sell well it sold massively within industry. It sold quite big within um, for people at home to have one of the. It was a it was a coffee table cookbook because it yeah. was like you know it was it showed this energy of this cool guy and he was the first. I spoke well. He was the first British chef to win three Michelin stars, and he had a reputation for throwing customers out of the restaurant. He had a reputation <laughs> for being rude. He had a reputation for being, you know, like, and it was proper rock and roll. And this is before yeah. Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So this reputation had been built through the press, who were writing stories, and that would take four or five days before you'd even read them. So it wasn't instant. And then, so this reputation became even more solid because you know the w- written word in newspapers. 25 years ago was pretty much seen as standard and it was very hard to alter that now you know with twitter and instagram you can change things you can change opinions in an instant whereas you know he worked very hard to create this kind of um elusive image he didn't do very many interviews you know he built this kind of reputation of being this rock and roll chef with this high energy and he was you know he's one of the younger he was the youngest chef at 31 to win three mission stars and so, you just go Phew. i don't want to be <clears throat> sexist here but it, it then did attract a massive amount of young men into the industry didn't it who were like this is a this is exciting it's 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 we're making something it's creative there's a there's an award at the end of it which yeah. men like yeah. um you know i know there's lots of women have come into it now but at that yeah. time lots of men there's an award if you can get there and there's there's swearing and there's uh, yeah. there's heat there's food there's alcohol yeah and apparently the party lifestyle back then yeah was quite immense wasn't yeah it? yeah yeah i mean chefs have got that reputation industry-wide of being rock and roll people they go you know my my days are long gone but you know you used <laughs> to go out, you used to go out at 12 12 30 at night and then stay out until three or four and then back in the kitchen by 7 a.m so you you know you might survive on three or four hours sleep a night while still partying while still then doing 16 18 hour days in a basement kitchen you know working hard thriving on this energy this adrenaline buzz and loads of caffeine and loads of energy throughout the day and then loads of booze in the night and then you know waking up and feeling you know you'd feel I mean we all know what a hangover feels like but it would be an extreme hangover but the next day at work because the energy level would always be so high that vibrant it would take you on this roller coaster ride of ups and downs and ups and downs and it's a one like if it's if it suits you there's loads of different industries where you can get that from but the one thing about um 
being a chef is it doesn't matter your background it doesn't matter qualifications it doesn't matter where you're from it doesn't matter whether you can read or write it doesn't matter you know you're all there for the same collective reason that you enjoy being in that space so it attracted all sorts of people and it showed that you could be successful no matter um no matter your background no matter where so so because you start by just doing the washing up yeah that's how i started you started i started off by going into a kitchen washing up and what happens then is you fall in, i fell in love with the industry like so many chefs my age it isn't you know it isn't about the background of where you come from and learn how to make an apple pie with your grandma it actually comes from the the energy level that you get from being in a kitchen in a space go this is rock and roll i love it so all those catering colleges pointless no, that no, no, no. They're great. So when I I started, I, I went to catering college and worked full time. Right now, catering colleges, you, the point they're called catering colleges. Now, catering is everything. Right. You know, catering covers. You know learning how to pick up a knife learning basic food hygiene learning um stock rotation in fridges and every you know if you work everyone just associates chefs as being seen as the rock and roll mission star ones but actually you know the guys that serve food in hospitals the guys that serve food at airports the people that do stuff for school dinners they've all got to learn and all learn um we all base our basic skill is exactly the same sell by dates on food and understanding of food hygiene how things are cooked pricing and budget and they all vary i mean they can all be different you know it doesn't matter we all have the same things if you're selling a main course for 45 quid there's a cost element that comes into it but if you've got a budget of one pound 20 a day like some people in hospitals they still have that budget and catering colleges do teach that so it doesn't matter on the level you there is an understanding that comes from catering colleges they are really important when i did the ambulance service there was uh there was this brilliant woman helping us she was amazing I, i got hats off to her fantastic what was their budget? Very little, very I imagine. Little, yeah. Very little. But I, I chopped the ends off the carrots. And she went, what are you doing? And I went, and I was, I was putting them to one side to bin. You know, yeah. like you do. Yeah, yeah. She's like, no, 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 they're going in. We yeah. need the margins. Yeah, they're going. Yeah, yeah. And then it looked a bit grey. You know, the one at home you make, you're going to put some Worcester sauce in it or something. You're going to make yeah. it look colourful. And, and ours looked very grey. And she got out this stuff, which was oh, black, um, brownings, brown. Uh, gravy browning, yeah. Gravy gravy, brown. uh, blackjack, I think it used to be so, called. And, yeah, yeah. and she got just add a bit of this. It just makes it look, you know, better on the eye. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I don't know what's in that stuff. <laughs> yeah. so, it did, it did t- taste all right, though. But she was talking about the margins all the time. They're trying to make food. And they're trying to keep the prices down for the ambulance service or whoever's there and stuff. So, so, but what a job making that much food for everybody. Uh, unbelievable. Oh. And, that, and that's where catering colleges are great because they yeah. try to tick so many boxes for people. And, you know, we all forget that. But, you know, if, you, if somebody, you're visiting somebody in hospital, a relative in hospital, they are getting free meals a day and yes hospital food gets a hard time and it is you know not necessarily um the most nutritionist and most beautiful looking food but it does exist and you're not paying for it and it's how you make those margins and how you get them out there yes everyone can look at improvements but at the same point you've got to have an understanding of how to get there yeah um it must be a lot of chefs who burn out though you must you there must, is a lot you yeah. must see a lot come into the industry think this is rock and roll and fun and then after a while they just get themselves burnt out yeah it is one of those industries that is always seen as a young person's kind of game you know it's a little bit i mean the parallels are quite similar i suppose to a sportsman or footballer as you look at it and you come through and you're young 17 18 year old and you might break through into the main team and you you have to work really hard to get through that and then you can have all the way through into your mid and early 30s but if you're an if you're a footballer that's 32 years old you are now 
the senior member of the team. You know, you are the person that has got the experience and you that's most definitely at a sous chef level, if not head chef level. You're the captain, you're some you're a leader on that team as a 32, 33 year old and you you understand where where things have come from. You might have won a Premier League, you might have won a Champions League, you might have done something really you know, being a part of that journey. And then you need to look at how you then slowly move yourself away from being there you know 70 hours a week working on the past putting the veg away you need to look at management structure and understanding of how you can make that kitchen move around you so it kind of works into you know like Michael Carrick becoming a trainer now becoming part of the coaching staff and then yeah. it, and then he'll look at becoming a manager and slowly it is very similar so that by the time you're in your mid-40s you are looking at um a much more understanding of the structure of the business rather than necessarily being at the, being at the rock face. Yeah. Um, is there a lot of rivalry between the chefs? There used to be. Used to be uh, huge. But you lot seem to like each other now. But yeah. y- years ago, there was, like, <laughs> I mean, the Ramses and the Marco Pierre Whites and stuff, yeah. they were always at each other, weren't they? All the yeah, time. huge. Well, Gordon used to work for Marco. Gordon was Marco's sous chef and head chef for ages. And, and, and then they, they separated and went different ways. And then they've fallen out with each other. And now I think they might be mates again. I don't really know. But there was that whole period in the 90s where people didn't talk to each other. And every kitchen was very, particularly... Um, I mean, a London-centric kitchens where there was, you know, lots of rivalry between lots of people. Um, but that's kind of, over the years. That's the last fifteen years. That's most definitely changed. Whereas chefs, we're all in the industry together. We all recognise that there's there's maybe a, a, a shortage of staff. So you you kind of network with each other. It starts off as a networking point of view where you want chefs. If someone, if one of my chefs wants to move, he's been with me for eighteen months, two years, and fancies going somewhere else, rather than somebody have to pay like a recruitment consultancy fee you say well where do you want to go who do you want to go and cook for where do you want to go and learn and then so you make that phone call ring that chef up and go listen I've got a great guy been with me for two years they haven't got to pay an agency fee that guy gets a trial or pretty much gets the job because of your recommendation so it works very naturally and then after that you know we we all you know you meet at awards do so it's the same it must be the same in media and broadcasting things yeah. you actually you all know each other do you know what I mean you all get on you all you know there's a little bit of needle maybe between some people that don't like each other but in general you you're all in it together and that the hospitality industry has very much grown to being a big family now rather than being rivals shortage of staff yeah big shortage of chefs well, huge, how, huge. how's that everyone wants to do your job i thought yeah but i i think there's more restaurants so it always used to there never there's never been enough chefs there's never when i first started um there was a, there was always a chef shortage because of hours um and there were maybe, about, I don't know, there were five or six real top restaurants and you look at Raymond Blanc's place and you look at the Rue Brothers and you look at, and they were incredible. Uh, and I first wrote a letter to the Manoir when I was 18 years old asking Raymond Blanc for a job. And I was told that there's an 18 month waiting list to get in. And you think, oh, oh my God, if you wrote to the Manoir now and wanted a job, you'd be in, you know, if you, because there is that shortage of chefs because there's more restaurants. So more people want to get into the industry. Yeah but there's more restaurants. So there's always these spaces that we've got to fill. You know, it's, it's an incredibly creative, fantastic industry. And we also come from an age now where chefs can move and move quite quickly. And because of the internet and because of Insta- an Instagram age for chefs is great. And it used to be quite 
isolated that we look at great restaurants that are in the UK or just in London. And now young chefs are in my kitchen and looking on their Instagram feed on a break this afternoon. And they're looking at what chefs are doing in Brazil, look at what chefs are doing in Tokyo, in Hong Kong, in wherever else. And it's amazing. And it's the, the world of cooking has suddenly become much, much smaller. <clears throat> was Brit- was, uh, was British, the, were the best restaurants always in London years ago then? Because they're, now they're all over the country, aren't they? You get yeah. Michelin stars all over. Um, no, not no, not right. always. Marco Pierre White um, tra- uh, trained uh, uh, up north first in in Yorkshire, and then and then headed back down, headed to London. I mean, I think the Gavroche was the opening point of everyone. It was the first three Michelin star restaurant in the UK, and without been, the Rue Brothers, there. I've been there, and and they, um, I didn't have a jacket. Oh, did they make you wear a jacket? Yeah, yeah. So they got a jacket out, which was a, a couple of sizes too big. So I <laughs> did it feel like it was your first day at school with a blazer that your mum had given you that you grow into. I was so shocked that they said you got to wear a wear a jacket. Yeah, it was exactly yeah. like that. So I I, I went it to is, the, I went to the that's toilet what it was like so when it opened in nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. So it's it's still the same same those ethics and uh, that that kind of what that restaurant stands for is amazing it is you know it's built on great foundations of phenomenal french cooking and it's no it's not modern and it's not cutting edge but what it is is steeped in history and I it's had, a, the most beautiful restaurant so i remember what i had because it was so lovely i had beef shin yeah i'd never like i was just like, i'll have that because i've never heard of it before you yeah. know like who yeah. eats a shin of a beef yeah <laughs> and and it just the meat just fell off it had been cooking for I don't know a week yeah. or something you know yeah. the usual sort of stuff and it was, it was, like, it was absolutely incredible yeah. right? so I remember it very vividly that I was just going wow what a meal because yeah. you know but that's that understanding of beautiful cookery and, yeah. and braising and, and that's where that stems from and then it, what's happened is there's kind of like this family tree that steps like a big kind of like triangle pyramid thing that the Rue brothers are at the top and then from that underneath them Marco Pierre White trained and Pierre Kaufman worked for them and then there was the Tom Claire and then Raymond Blanc set up the manoir and then underneath them you've got Gordon Ramsay and underneath Gordon Ramsay you've got Marcus Waring and then and then it kind of this this pyramid filters out and so there's become more and more chefs that, that they're the pinnacle point and they're the starting point and after that so there's all of these great cooks that are then opening more and more restaurants that you're still trying to get you know you're still trying to the restaurants have to be busy to survive but you also need the young chefs to be into wanting to cook so where do you fit in that tree that family tree um i so i'm i came quite i come quite down further down the line i worked for i suppose my biggest influences were british chefs so i worked for a guy called stephen ball who was one of the first chefs to win a mission star and gary rhodes so they're much further down the line so gary worked on um Gary won a mission star at the Greenhouse where he was uh, in Mayfair and he had, he was doing steamed suet puddings and he was doing um, bread and butter pudding is one of his most famous dishes and won a mission star doing classic British cooking. Um, and that using kind of a bit of French technique, but they were rock solid, amazing, amazing dishes. And they were, they were all about taking all the faff away. So it might be two or three things on a plate and that's it, taking things away. And he cooked with such a confidence. So I come from an understanding of, and Stephen Ball was exactly the same. So I come from an understanding of, of British flavors with French cooking. I suppose you absolutely love it don't you oh it's my life you know it's you you know it's so interesting because you're telling us all about the fact I bet you there's a lot of chefs out there who are good who don't know the depth you know of this it's like the time I met Andy Murray the first time I met Andy Murray before he'd won all these things years ago he just kept telling me about percentages of 
Federer's backhand and this and that. He knew so much yeah. rankings and everything because he was just obsessed with it. And then yeah. when everyone started saying to him, by the way, I'm not saying you're like Andy Murray at all. <laughs> yeah. and I, and I, I do, I'm not I do, very good at percentages. <laughs> I, do, I do like Andy, but, but when, when, when Andy started winning and people going, oh, God, he's a bit miserable. You're like, no, no, no. Andy is not miserable. He's obsessed with yeah. winning and, and his, his, industry and what he's doing you know yeah. and seems that that very similar to how you've obviously found it as a passion and gone i want to know everything do you know what Tim? I, I was one of the luckiest men around that i as an 18 year old i walked into a kitchen and i recognized that this is where i want to be and it wasn't about food it's about the industry and like you say i you know so much about the history of people it's not just about the food like the food comes almost secondary to the industry it's that yeah. that i fell in love with and you know to walk into a space of, of a job that it's not even a job you know it's never been about money it's about finding a, a place in life where you're very happy i've never had a monday morning feeling listen we've all had shit days at work like yeah. we've all had times when we've gone oh god this is horrible but there's people out there that week in week out go to bed on a sunday night going oh god i've got work tomorrow and that's i mean they're, they're working and, and then come home and go god oh, thank god that's over i've never had that i've you know i love going to work i love being around food and the industry and the people and that makes me very lucky and there are people out there that have found their way in life and where they want to be but you know i've been very lucky from the age of 18 that i've just gone wow this is such a cool industry and space to be in and i you know that yeah. makes me if that makes you slightly Andy Murray obsessive about it, then I'm quite happy with that. But I always knew Andy Murray was going to be successful because you, you could you could see in his eyes that he just absolutely loved it. I became sort of similar with TV years ago. I just found I fell in love with the idea of doing it, and yeah. so you know I wasn't the best, and but I knew that I wanted to do it, so I didn't give up, and that was kind of how it went. How hard though is it to have a relationship if you're a chef? Um, so there's many a story of. Um, chefs having uh broken marriages falling in and out of love with different people working different hours uh, uh, because your other half the person that you you um that you fall in love with and the person that you want to be with has to have a recognition of what you do that saturday nights then, aren't for going to cinemas and going out yeah they're, they're gonna have to work they're gonna have to realize that they're not gonna see you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're, but, which in some ways into- makes for an amazing marriage <laughs> 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 but it, you you have to have um you have to have the full support of the, the other person and i was also very lucky that i met somebody who has their own career their own career path so it works um it works hand in hand alongside each other so that we can have conversations on a you know that aren't about my work it's not just obsessive you know what she does is my my wife beth she's an artist so you know that and and her career over the last five or six years is is really rocketed so you know there's it's wonderful to have and we're both supportive in each other's careers and career paths and an understanding of where we're going and it's you know you, you have to be very lucky to find somebody who just doesn't become the other half of you know married to the chef you, yeah. you need somebody to be able to have their own life and also recognize but then also as a chef there's you also have to give back to that because quite a lot of chefs on their days off will be like i've done i've worked 90 hours this week i'm going to sit on my day off i'm having a lie in till lunchtime and then i'm going to do me washing and then i'm going to go to the pub get drunk and go back to bed well, actually, if you're in a relationship with someone, you those are the days on your days off. You've got to give them that. You've got you've got to get up at seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning and decide to go and do something with the day. You have to if they're committing time to you 
on the time when you're not at work, you've got to commit it to them because otherwise it's just a one-way street and that's no good for like any relationship irrespective of whether you're a chef. Yeah. That noise in the background, by the way, is my cat. I never see her. All day long, she just ignores me. As soon as I start a podcast, she's down there and she's really vocal always. So it's that so meow, meowing, meowing in the background. You've attracted a downtime. I know. Hello, so, mate. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Must be the smell of food on my trainers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But when you can you ever switch off though? So when you go on holiday, say for instance. Sorry, it's really hot in here, by the yeah, way. But, but um, I thought I'd make it hot for you. You know. Yeah. Wherever, make wherever. me feel at home. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I got some white seam. No. So so um, the when you go on holiday, are you ever able to switch off? Or are you looking, going, hold on, we're in Barcelona, we need to check out this restaurant. And then when you're there, you're thinking, oh, I know what I could do with this food. It, yeah. Are you, do you ever manage to just go and switch off totally? Are you, yeah, yeah uh, no, not really. But at the same point, it's great because it is my life. It's like, you know, we, we, you choose to go on holiday somewhere where there's great food. I mean, doesn't everyone want to go on holiday where there's great food? You know, that's it. You know, yeah. and, and if you just have a, you know a bit more about where you're going, you go and eat great food. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it adds to your holiday. So, yes, you know, it's nice to be able to go and visit places, eat lovely stuff and know where you're at. <laughs> and that, and that's, that's always a, that, that, that's a good thing. But no, it, you're never switched off from it. Do you do you ever do you ever get a chance to just like watch Netflix? Go through a box set or something? No, I haven't done a box set in ages. The last the last thing I, the last thing I saw was probably about four five years ago, and that was Breaking Bad, and that was the last yeah. box set. Every now and then, um, so now that I've got a son. Uh, I try to make sure that I get Sundays off. So you know, having little man is quite a big thing for me, and that commitment to. Again, it goes back to an age thing where you can try and make it more of a management thing so I can try and structure my week so that Sundays I try and keep like sacred, um, which means that Sunday nights, if he goes to bed, there's always something that we might watch at the minute is Homeland. So you're going, okay, I'm watching Homeland. That's quite good on a Sunday night. And that's kind of the thing, but that's because that's on on a Sunday. Do you cook at home? Yeah, I, I do like to cook on a, I do like to cook on a uh, Sunday. It is something that, you know, I stick something in the oven and look after it or, you know, but easy things like a yeah. shoulder of lamb that you could put in the oven and not stress about. You know, you can leave it in there for three, four, five hours. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to overcook or burn if you cook it. it. You know, it's nice. I do like doing that. I like cooking breakfast for, for him, with him. You know, he's pretty yeah. good at doing scrambled eggs. Like, you know, oh, he's, cool. you know, he's two and a half and he'll cook scrambled eggs with us. You know, we'll stick together and do it. Doesn't season it enough yet, but I'm willing to... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that'll come. Always a problem with kids this season. <laughs> um, he's, uh, he's definitely watching the salt content. How did you? Yeah, they always do. How, yeah. did, how did you get involved in the first place? Then what was the, what was the moment that that made you decide you wanted to go and become a chef? Well, it was just that point of I went into a kitchen as a as an eighteen year old looking for um, I needed money, so it was just kind of like yeah. between the ages of sixteen and eighteen, I, I, I didn't do an awful lot. I actually did a little bit of um, TV work as a an actor and it's a long old story but I, I was in a youth theatre and my, you know, I went to I joined a youth theatre when I was a young kid because um, it was kind of something to do rather where than where are you from where's this Gloucester I'm Gloucester, from Gloucester right, so okay. I went to a youth theatre in Cheltenham right. um, which was full of girls from Cheltenham's Ladies College so it was kind of like as a 16 year old it was a, it was a good place to be it's a good idea yeah, yeah it was, a, yeah, really it was like yeah, this, is, this is quite cool but it was I've always been quite comfortable in my own skin so actually and being part of a youth theatre was quite good I think for, for a confidence point of view from just being able to have a conversation with somebody it lends it to being I think helping to build a character um, 
but between the ages of 16 and 18, I did little bits and bobs on TV. Like I, I played, um, I was in Miss Marple. I was in, I played a Borsal boy in Miss Marple. I played um, a school bully in a couple of like kids TV shows. And now I ended up, I was in London's Burning and my official title on that was Thug One. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of, I was typecast by the age of like 17 and a half. And I just yeah. thought, this, is, this isn't quite right. So I, I, I went, it, it wasn't my thing. I just went, I went into a kitchen looking for, a job and, and I walked in there and there was just it, it comes back to the energy level and the people that were there the interest the the conversations that were going on you know and then there was also like the adrenaline thing there was like fire open flames like your lovely stove when yeah, you turn it on there's yeah. a you get a little buzz don't you as soon as you turn it on there's fire it's a little bit of danger there's sharp knives there's <laughs> there's adrenaline there's and I just thought you know, <clears throat> this is just such a great place so from about the age of 18 started off washing up looking for money and it sucked me in from there yeah I always say to Simon I enjoy the chopping I enjoy the cooking but I just hate grating Great, I really can't stand grating. But when you get all the knives and stuff, it's quite good fun, isn't it? It is quite good fun. And you can see why people get quite obsessive with knives as well. You can see, even if you're not a chef, you can get quite obsessive because they do a lovely job. You can get quite obsessed with this. Oh, this is a a Japanese knife that's come from some samurai space that they they, they fold the steel 250 times by hand before. You know, you can get all a real geeky. Talking about Jeremy Pang, which we were earlier, he, he, he cooks with a cleaver. Yeah. So everything is watching him do it is really it's I, mad, isn't he it? He gave me one, so I try it all the time. But you I still got fun. all your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sharp. It's okay. really good. It's good. It's good fun chopping with. But actually, I find a knife easier because I find it easier to rock with a knife. You know. Yeah, and I think, and also you've you've learned from an earlier age. Yeah. With a knife, like it's standard. If all of a sudden, like now, see, I wouldn't. I know how to chop with a knife. If someone puts a cleaver in my hand, I mean, it's all right for when you're doing big butchery of whole carcasses of animals, but yeah. actually like chopping an onion with a yeah. cleaver it's like alien so it's kind of yeah I I think both me and you would be in the same boat we lose fingers so where are you at with your restaurants and, and Michelin stars and everything at the moment how many have you got where are you so we happening? got the Hand of Flowers which was the first place we opened which is uh, 13 years old and that's got two stars it was the first pub to win two stars and that's huge testament to the amount of people and staff that have been with us and for a long long time and come on the journey with us and then we've got the coach which is on the same street that we opened um that we opened three and a half years ago, which won a mission star in the last guide, which we're super proud of all the guys there that worked very hard for that. And that's kind of a non-bookable turn up breakfast, lunch and dinner kind of space where there's screens on for the sport, but there's no volume on, but you can still watch, you can still watch the Champions League or you can still watch the rugby or the cricket or whatever else. And it's kind of like um, 15, 18 seats around the bar and about 25 seats around the outside. It's very small, but works really nicely in the hub of the town. Then we've got the butcher's tap, which is a, a, um, which is uh, I suppose it's a retail butcher's but it's a, also a pub so during the day it works as a high street butcher's with my business partner Andy who's been who's third generation butcher so it's great so it's a proper high street butcher that's built relationships and building relationships with people coming back you know every week buying their pound of sausages or you know and Andy's coming in they're going hi Andy he's going oh hello Mrs Smith I've got your <laughs> pre-order of yeah. calves liver or whatever else that sort of stuff that's working and then we're opening later this year the Corinthia um, in the Corinthia Hotel we're opening a a restaurant in there so that's something that's really 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 exciting so but it all comes why from, are you doing that why are you doing a london one staff for me it comes through um it comes through organic growth of staff so we're very good at 
um, maintaining staff that come on the journey with us. Once they've been with us for a year or two, they normally don't leave and they grow. And we've got to this management level where they, they, it kind of hit a ceiling because people have been with us for so long. So the only way that they're either going to go somewhere else or for them to move up, we need to move sideways and open another space. So it kind of, it's rolling out like that. So it's people that buy into the... The guys that have been with me for so long treat the business like their own, you know, and and that's a wonderful thing that they're they're in love with the industry the same and they they have the same care and heart and soul for making everything that brand ethos comes across and it comes from them. So it's an opportunity for for some great members of staff to open in London. And also from my point of view, I worked in London for 10, 11 years. So the idea of yeah, I didn't want I don't want to get to 60. And I've had an amazing opportunity to open somewhere in London and be sat there going, oh, I wish I'd done that. Is it different, though? Because, like, you're, you're, you know, you're king of the castle in Marlow, aren't you? You're, um, yeah, you, you know, you, you've got your restaurants there. But London, there's a lot of players. There is a lot of players um, and, and <clears throat> some incredible and amazing restaurants. And it is, it is a very different scene, but it's also a scene that I fully recognise and, and have been a part of for a long time, not as an owner-operator, but as somebody who's worked here for a lot. And I spend two or three days a week in London anyway it's fairly standard Marlow Marlow to here I mean on a good run is 45 minutes but what happens when you take on the oh, the pressure now because you take on yeah. that people are going to expect you to want to get a Michelin Michelin star so so do you have to set yourself a target five years or however, however long you set yourself no. and then if you don't do you feel you've failed I mean how does that work actually the the key the success is a is business success it's not about winning accolades so accolades has always been so and business success comes from gu- uh, uh, guest and customer satisfaction and what you aim for is going okay we know what we're good at doing we won't overcomplicate it we'll keep it very simple and that's what we'll do in all sites that's what we do at the hand and the coach we're very good at getting this right that's what we'll do and if the guests are happy and they keep coming back then then that makes it a success. And then at the same point, those standards that we impose upon ourselves, if somebody else recognizes that within a guide, then that's great. But that's not the first point of call. Because okay. a mission start doesn't yeah, make you busy. Know. Yeah, but you know you would want that, wouldn't you? The team would want that, of course. Yeah, would. yeah that's what they're aiming for in terms of um, professional standard. Right. But that will come what if the, they're good enough. If they're, if they're good enough and everyone's ready for it, then it will come. Um, you know, it's not. I mission start assumes subjective, right? The, the people, or is there things you have to hit? Well, how do, Nobody what are, knows. What it's are cons- they? It's about, cons- <laughs> it's about, <laughs> I think the key to it all is about yeah. consistency and it's about consistency and good produce. And if you look, I mean, we, we'll talk about it from a London point of view because we're sat here in London, but you've got great mission start um, tapas places, Italians, um, Spanish. You've got uh, like phenomenal uh, Japanese sushi restaurants with one, two and three stars in London. You know, it's amazing. And that, the one thing that all of those restaurants have in common is a consistency and a level of produce that they hit not just once but every what single time what does produce time. mean well produce you're not buying it you're not buying cheap nasty right. horrible stuff you're buying okay. stuff that's got heart so, so as a chef so they judge rest- you on that they judge you on what your you can ingredients tell what you eat are it. like if you know what okay. you're eating if you, if you know come on Tim you know you've yeah. eaten, if you've bought yeah, some some it cheap from around the corner and you, you try cooking it it's nowhere near as nice no. as the stuff that maybe Simon's gone here have a look at this Tim take it home and cook this steak yeah. you'll go wow it's amazing there's something incredible so that understanding that and that comes from some that has to come 
come from the beginning part of everything that we do is based on farming and 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 people who look after you know how long does it take to grow a carrot the reality of it is like it's a long long time the understanding the process the season when you sow the seeds how you look after it where it goes how it grows to be whether it's a real pushed out mass-produced carrot or whether it's a loved one that's grown in the right field with the right soil and all of those things are important it's the thing i've learned on sunday brunch more than anything is um ingredients you can you can make good ingredients crap but you can't make bad ingredients good and you buy a nice piece of meat you can taste it and yeah and vegetables and everything the better the ingredients the, the nicer your food yeah and then that then what you want to do is look at the simplest way of cooking exactly, it you yeah. just go you let the ingredient speak for itself if it's about roasting it correctly and that makes the best roast chicken with a lovely crispy skin and the flavor come alive then that's all you've got so, to do so is that is that what you're is that why you're good because you know how to get the best flavors out of them. Well, yeah, I think it's probably that's because I, I look at it and the more I analyze the way that we cook, I think oh, we're just lazy cooks. <laughs> <laughs> we just go, the produce is so good, let's just poach it. <laughs> you know, <that'll> do. <laughs> but I think a lot of the work of a chef and a restaurateur yeah. most of the time is actually spending time talking to suppliers and producers and farmers and, and understanding what's coming through and understanding of the seasons and things like that. And they all make a big, big difference rather than just just going with whatever you've got. There are great creative chefs out there that can change and alter your perception of food and textual, how things are different. But the reality is that if you've got a beautiful piece of sea bass that's been line caught by a guy in Cornwall that's brought it in on a day boat that day, gone to market that morning, put on a van and is with you by 12 o'clock that night that you've got it on the menu the next day for lunch there is going to be nothing better than a piece of sea bass roasted with a crispy skin side down so with a very simple butter sauce and you just get, there's nothing it's the sea bass that's the winner there I'm hungry oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you've so, got it because the sea bass is great yeah. not because oh. not, not for any other reason you know and, and that comes from an under, you've got to be speaking to the fish guys you know and that's what makes for us, that's what we focus on. So I think it makes it the easiest way to cook something. Do Michelin, do, when Michelin come down, do they come down? How does, how does it work? Do they come down? Um, we, we, you don't know. That, you don't know they're coming. Right. Like it, it's completely anonymous. And do they judge you on atmosphere as well and presentation or is it just food? Well, uh, to be honest, I don't really know. I right. think they say it is just food. It's just food, especially at one star level, because you can get, you know, you've got places, the coach, for example, is one of mission star with non-bookable. It's got Sky Sports on Natelli. It's got, you know, it can, yeah. you go there and you can have bre- kippers for breakfast, but it is consistent and it's a level. It's the best kippers we can find. It's the best, you know, right. it's, it's not always the best football, but, you know, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but you, you can get, um, you get, uh, it, it's about it being, in, um, I, does it fit does the food then fit the ambience and the space and the restaurant that you're trying to create do you know what I mean? does it all tie in together and those are the things that's not just key to mission I think that's key to successful restaurants oh, or even businesses it's so important yeah. the atmosphere is so important in yeah. a restaurant I've been to restaurants which are regarded really highly but I'm sitting there going this is so boring in here yeah and the food's great, but you're like, oh, I can't wait to get out and get down the pub or something. Whereas you sit in other restaurants, you go, I don't care what the food's like. I'm having a really good time. And then Absolutely. the food's obviously nice yeah, as well. Yeah, some of the know? best food experiences you'll have will yeah. ne- won't be in Michelin-style restaurants. They might be fish and chips on a beach in Brighton yeah. on New Year's Day when it's yeah. pissing down with rain and you're sat there, but yeah. you're going, this is great. And that, that's what food experiences should be about. And if that all ties in correctly, then then you're onto a good thing. I've always said Michelin stars, though, that it's just just the worst award you can get. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because if you win Wimbledon, if you win Wimbledon, Tom, you've won Wimbledon forever. You're the 19... 19- 
19, uh, uh, 2018 Wimbledon champion. You get a Michelin star, yeah. they can take the bloody thing away from you. They can, and yeah. then you were the guy who used to have a Michelin star. No one wants to be at the restaurant that used to have a Michelin star. So, no. so you've been, you have that pressure then to keep going and keep going. And there has been cases in the past, hasn't there, where people have lost their Michelin stars and, and, and gone I think didn't someone commit suicide once over that something? Well, that's a, I mean that's an added on thing. That's a, a that people build that together for the great Bernard Lazo who had three stars right. in France and has still got three stars. Okay, it was slightly different. He was under pressure. I, I think it, 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 the story then transpires that he was bipolar and right. there was okay. a lot of other issues. But I think those pressures of being a, I think holding mission stars is is a pressure, um, but it's only a pressure like. It's an accolade for a business that can help, but it is an accolade that can weigh heavy. But at the same point, it's the same as um, most consistent businesses are about I mean you say that you look at for example what where Arsenal Football Club are about to go into and what Manchester United went into they used to be the greatest team in the country now they're not they're not picking up some so it's own it's only the same sort of thing the same sort of pressures that become their consistent pressures I know if you Andy Murray Wimbledon champion is great but if you look at it from a football club's point of view, there's right. only one okay, winner in yeah. the Premier League every year and yeah. everyone else has had a rubbish season. Do you yeah, know but, what they're I mean? not, but they're not giving one Michelin star. They'll give as many as they want, uh, but you've got to keep them. Yeah, so maintenance. You, you, you can keep it forever. You have to trust it because you can't be in those kitchens for every service. So you've no. got to trust your staff. That's, that's, a, yeah. that's, that's where that staff thing comes into staff it. Staff training it? is key. That understanding and that building, that infrastructure and those foundations that you build as a business. And that's where, and that's where, that's where it becomes where she have burnout because you need to be able to get to being 40 45 where you're where you're instructing and you're controlling and you're helping people drive forward and be able to create their own dishes or their own um their own personality but in the mold that suits that restaurant the space that you've set up so you're allowing them to flourish but at the same point you need them to maintain the standard and that's where all that skill set starts coming in and no one can teach you that that's something that you're learning that's something that i'm learning as i'm going along what about the business yeah what about the business side of things as well did you have to pick that up very quickly because you know if you're if you're trying to do a i don't know a a unicorn steak or something for a (laughs) And you're going, the margins on this unicorn steak are pretty, you know, uh, how we've got 15 people working on one steak. Yeah. You've got to try and work out ingredients versus staff versus everything. It's It's the hardest in this. It's such a difficult space. Should we put saffron in it? No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. More expensive than gold by weight, saffron. No saffron in any of our dishes, guys. (laughs) If you want it looking yellow, let's look at turmeric. Turmeric's very nice. (laughs) Turmeric's got a wonderful flavor. Anti- anti-inflammatory yeah. we're using that Sa- saffron can do one yeah. <laughs> but it is, it, you learn the business you do learn the business as you go along it's one of those things that all of a sudden it's not just about cooking because as a chef you just look at cooking the moment you open a business you have to run it for yourself it is about the guests coming through the door and how do you get the guests to come through the door so do you then employ um, a, a PR company do you ha- then pay for advertising in local magazines to, and if you, how do you justify that when you can't pay the kitchen porter or uh, uh, how do you say well we've got to go from opening we've got to open seven days a week rather than five because we need those two days of revenue but then if you open seven days a week you need more staff and, yeah. how do we, and they're all really complicated business decisions that you have to make and you don't always make the right one but as long as that's where owner operators have a I, I suppose a 
an advantage over big um, corporate companies is that you can make a decision that morning and it's changed by lunchtime. You can, you can, you can adapt to the situations much more quickly, but you haven't got financial backing, but you can maneuver quickly. How hard is it to build a team? Uh, we had Jody Kidd on the show the other day and we were talking about, we were discussing how to uh, um, employ, that wasn't the show you were on, was it? No. No, uh, but I have speak to, was she talking about um, her pub? Yeah, and she, yeah. Was, she was trying to employ chefs and she was trying to and I was, we were Simon and myself were discussing uh, the employment and I, I I always say never employ um, someone with too many friends yeah. <laughs> try and employ someone who lives miles away from the, from, from the employer the pub or whatever because then they then they'll they be more, more more tied into 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 you and also don't employ triathletes I got some stick off that but basically <laughs> yeah. triathletes spend so much time training that they've got to get out all day because they? yeah. <laughs> they've, yeah, yeah, yeah. they've got to do so much training so yeah. they've got to cycle run and swim um and uh, you know how do you create a team how how hard is it to create that i think you have to create with personality i mean some of the best aaron who's my head chef at the hand of flowers has been with me for over 10 years and has grown with the business but aaron used to work for a mate of mine in a little bistro somewhere with no you know the only mission star restaurant he worked at was actually at gordon ramsay's three-star place and he did a day there that was it <laughs> he was like no this is way too scary for yeah. me it's not he went and worked at a little bistro and then came to work with us and it was you have to put trust in people and drive them forward with enthusiasm and that you have to make them believe in you and your journey and where where you can take that restaurant and you slowly build this core of people around you but it must be like a football team isn't it because you suddenly get a bad egg in the team and and you're under so much stress during service time that yeah. you can't you can't afford to have someone who's annoying everyone can no, you no 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 you get rid of them you've got to get yeah. rid of them and, and if you built a team around you Actually, you don't need to. The team push them out. Does it? They, okay. they get, and that must be that again. That probably comes down to football. You see it all the time when yeah. players get ostracised because they don't fit into the dressing yeah. room ethos. And the, you know, it doesn't matter how good they are if they don't fit into the team, then they don't. They don't create. They don't help. But, they don't. But you're the main chef. Your name's on the door. But your team is. It, it must be so important for you. To really, do it. Yeah. massively important. But you, have, you, you also put. You also put infrastructure there. You also give them. You know, there's no. There's no such thing as freestyling in our kitchen. Everything has got a recipe and is a standard, and you have to. Yeah. The guys have to do. Careful it. not to bang too much. Sorry, mate. It comes through the speakers. Oh, got sorry. Other, the, yeah. like, don't, don't worry. <laughs> you're just, just, but everything has recipe and standardized, and it is. Um, it becomes there's no freestyling nobody can just go off on their own but and, and decide to cook something differently but we do listen to different opinions yeah. if they say chef what about have you looked at the idea of cooking this like this or what about doing this like this or trying to bring this flavor into it yeah. and there and they become quite um that's really important it's a nice there it is accessible for people to be able to have their own space to be creative it seemed for a while there was a lot of swearing going on in kitchens it seems to have tur- it seems to have turned a corner now that all the chefs say no no my kitchen's controlled and we don't have a lot of people like each other yeah is that is that moved on when you started was it people going fucking this game number two all that sort of stuff yeah right? yeah 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 and and to be honest the more the better the place the less there is that noise i mean when you see if there's a chef shouting and swearing and wanting stuff that means things have gone wrong yeah. you know where it's more controlled it could still be really fast paced but it doesn't necessarily that there has to be communication so there's always the people on the path going away on table six two beef two duck one chicken blah 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 and, and everyone going yes chef so there's a noise and an energy but if they're going where the fuck is this what's, that? what's happening with this why is that like that means something's gone wrong yeah. so if something's going wrong that means that 
that the, necessarily the standard isn't going to be hit. So the, the better spaces are much more controlled. There still needs to be communication and noise. And that, that adds to adrenaline. That yeah. makes it exciting. How long was it before you were famous? Before you became a celebrity chef, as they say. I, to be honest, I don't really know. I think it, that, that it kind of morphed because television was something that's come along since winning Great British Menu. So when I entered Great British Menu 2010, um, 2009, shown 2010, where I, I entered it and won the main course, and all of a sudden it becomes TV. I recognised that when I went into the kitchen, it was also a TV studio, and you go, okay, so... Uh, there's people here making television. They have a job to be, you're part of their job. So it wasn't just about me cooking. So I recognized that if I actually gave back to them what they were wanting, they also left me alone more because they know they could come to you. It would take them one minute to get the sound bite that they wanted. They go away again. It's when they're at somebody and they, you're not giving them what you want and they're there for 10 minutes. So the more time you give them what you want quicker, you can concentrate on your cooking. So, but, but, but why did you enter it in the first place? It's um, exposure for a business. You're an owner operator and you go, okay, well, this is something that's, you know, 2 million people watch on BBC one or two. And then you go, okay, well, this is quite, a, this is, and it, it, it can showcase what you do as an owner operator. And it, it's not, um, it wasn't an advert in any way. And it wasn't, it wasn't to get on TV. It was to go, let's see what happens if we do all right. The phone might ring. Did, and, did, did you want to win? Yeah, of course I wanted to win. Yeah. <laughs> Because you said earlier that you didn't care about the Michelin stars really, but then there is this side of you which seems quite competitive. Yeah, at the same I like, stage. I do like competing. Actually, I like competing against myself. I like pushing yeah. myself, and then I, I thought if I can, if I can do the best that I can do, then I would be all right. We'd be, I, you know, I've got a Michelin star. I'm all, I'm all right at cooking. Let's see how we go with this. So, I, of course, I wanted to win, but it wasn't the be all. And I wanted to do the best I could. So I pushed myself to make sure. And then the further down the line you get, you start recognizing actually, I, we could do this. I could win this. This dish is great. I've got to get it. I nail it on. And you go, and you, you, you do push yourself to to win it. And and which was great. And then I came back the second year and I won it again, doing the main course again, the second time, which was, which was phenomenal. And then from there, I suppose TV pick people up. It's somebody I, yeah, with, with, with a regional accent, which is something that the BBC likes. Somebody, you're confident, you're comfortable, you're, you're likable, you're funny, you people like you. And, and I think that, that that's, that's half the battle with TV is people liking you. And yeah, when, when you, when, when you come on Sunday brunch, you're one of the guys who, gets the massive reaction they're like brilliant love tom carriage he's great and it's uh, your food's great but also yeah. i think because you've got a great personality people love it don't they so yeah, well, I think, tv came easily to you didn't it, it, it well it uh, to be honest the, the one thing that i try to do is just make sure that i'm myself you know and the problem with quite often when you come across two-star chefs is that their two-star environments is seen as not being accessible my business has been built on trying to make food accessible yeah so making it accessible means that it's anyone could come come in shorts and flip-flops in the summer i don't care come in we had someone two weeks ago sat on a saturday night sat wearing a chelsea football shirt i mean you know i didn't (laughs) throw them out you know it was fine but it was like you know this is this is you know this is great that people there isn't another two-star restaurant in the country where that guy could have turned up in his football shirt and felt comfy you know and that's it's always us bloody chelsea fans (laughs) and everything yeah but but that for me is amazing i love the fact that somebody felt comfortable enough to do that and if you can do that and come across like that bloke on the tv that that i it's fine everyone is fine just come as you want and then make it accessible then i think like if i wasn't a chef 
I quite happily drive a white van delivering furniture. I like I I quite I like I'm a normal yeah. bloke. I mean, I try and make sure that I deliver the finest of furniture, <laughs> and, I, and I, I would make sure that the van is pristine and it, it's parked pr- correctly. But at the same point, I quite ha- I am that sort of bloke. How the hell are you juggling though? You know, you've got your restaurants which are successful. You're opening the one up in London, and you've got a TV career. Yeah. How, how are you juggling it all? So staff and team people, uh, 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 I build. I've, uh, I, you know, I've, I've also. Rec- I rec- I'm a people person, and that, yeah. I like being around people, and I like having enthusiastic people and people that care and people that want to do um, much. You know, I, I will encourage people to have a go at stuff, and if there's somebody that we can grow with and invest with, then I'll do that because it's not about making cash; it's about people. At the end of the day, if, if you're, if you're, so you, how many people you must meet them all the time, Tim? People with loads of cash, but. Are still pretty miserable do you yeah. know what I mean oh, yeah, come yeah. on the show 100%, 100%. and you know how many how many top rock stars or Hollywood yeah. movie stars and people come on the show and you just think actually you know they should it should feel like they've got everything but it, yeah. they feel quite hollow and got nothing like what's it what is it all if it's if it's not about people and enjoying yourself so if we've surround myself with similar like-minded people that we're, we're all on this great journey and that means you go and it's saying yes to everything. Yeah, let's just do it. Come on, let's just do it. And we'll yeah. worry about it as we get closer to it. Sometimes you think, oh my God, I've bit enough more than I can chew yeah. here. But then you go, well, you got, that's where you have to dig deep and go, well, let's, come on, let's crack on. So your TV show at the moment, Top of the Shop, um, explain that one to us. Uh, artisan, amateur artisan producers um, that wanted to showcase their stuff um, but competing it's a, it is a cookery it is a competition but it's done in it's done for the right reasons it's about encouragement and enthusiasm rather than it being um, dark and like negative competition TV it's about you know the art showcasing people who, who make things at the bottom of their garden and then want to do it as a full time job and their, their, their project is shown in a proper working shop farm shop up in Yorkshire and real customers coming through the door and buying their produce and seeing how it stands up against the produce that's already on the shelf and and, and two judges from uh, one from a, an incredible restaurateur with, with a background of um, how to make business work and one who's got a phenomenal and outstanding understanding of of artisan produce so that they go all the way they pick the guys that go through to the final and who's going to win it in the end I read an article about this not so long ago um, that in this country post-war and probably into the 70s and stuff we had very few of those artisan things and they talked it in terms of cheese we had one sort of cheese big yellow slab of cheddar rubbish cheddar now we've got just so many different types of cheese unbelievable the british cheese and apparently even the big supermarkets pretend their big mass cheeses are artisan (laughs) yeah they give them strange names like wessex farm or something not that exists this farm they're talking about to make us feel like because that's what we want we want that massive industry isn't it now can people make a living out of it though well it's very difficult but again i think it comes down to the fact that yes they can try and make a living out of it but the reality is is it making a living out of it or is it making a life out of it? And those are the different things that you fall in love with food and you these are people that are trying to do something, they're changing their lives. They're people that have a, a city job or a, a something that they do that, that they're not enjoying and they're going, their hobby is making cheese or some form of charcuterie or chocolates or marshmallows or whatever it is or a hot chili sauce or Mm. and that's what they're in love with and they go actually this i would love to be able to make a life out of it if i can make the same sort of money just break even 
pay me mortgage, but just doing something that I want to do. And it's a passion for food that drives them on. And, you know, every now and then there'll be a reggae, reggae sauce that goes mental. Massive, and someone, yeah. yeah, massive and someone makes loads of money. But the reality of it, and most people in the food scene do it because they love food and that's mm. it. End of story. Mm. Uh, good. So you're talking about changing people's lives. Good time to talk about your change of life. Five five books you've had out yeah uh, have they sold well not that you care because you don't care about competition but are they uh... <laughs> yeah no the, the, yeah they, they have sold well the, la- the last one has been amazing the okay last so one, the last two have been the last diet two books, diet yeah? books and, and the last gone, one has been yeah so the, la- well, the, the last two the first one was the dopamine diet which was my own personal story of how I lost a load a shifted a load of timber and that was through a low carbohydrate diet so it's loads of low carb recipes and high protein lots of lots of flavor flavorsome cooking in the way that is the, still the way that i eat now um and then the latest one was in conjunction with the tv show so lose weight for good um was taking uh 13 volunteers that wanted to lose weight in conjunction with the nhs and their website the 12-week diet plan and it was all about low calorie food which is something that at first i thought well this is going to be very difficult when it was very difficult because i didn't it, i wasn't a huge advocate of low calorie food because every time i'd seen recipes before I thought it's no wonder that people yo-yo in and out of diets because the recipes are so uninspiring. They're flavorless and they're not much fun and they're always just about... Nothing about it makes you fall in love with food. It just, it's just fuel. Mm. And you go, okay, so I had to look at it slightly differently and, and approach it from a chef's point of view and go, how do I make low-calorie food taste nice? So all of it was an experiment that we filmed with these 13 people hoping that... The idea is that over a 12-week period, they might lose a stone. So I had, we had 13 people and I thought, well, if we lose 13 stone between them, we've done all right. But the reality, you go, well, two or three might drop out, three, three might not do as well. So if we lose seven or eight stone out of 13, I'll be really happy. And the reality was between them all, they lost nearly 19 stone. Brilliant. So it was like, for me, it was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it means that people can eat great food, still enjoy it and lose weight. And yeah. so that book has done, it's done very well. And because the people that were in part of the show, people could relate to at home. Again, they could relate to, you know, there were people, a single, you know, stay at home dad. There was a, you know, there was a nurse, there was, there was a, a, a police, there was you know they were just people everyday people with their busy lives yeah people are people use food for entertainment purposes i think uh, so you get home and you look forward to your meal all day if it's low calorie boring and horrible you're not going to think to look forward to and so you fall off yeah that's it if if it's tasty and you feel good like what you've done then you go i can still look forward to my meal yeah and it doesn't and then you forget even that it's diet food yeah you just you're just eating a great meal that tastes great so how much did you lose altogether i've lost the best part of 12 stone (laughs) yeah that's that's kind of my weight that is yeah i've lost i have lost you i've lost tim (laughs) lovejoy has anyone seen tim (laughs) so so wow that that is a lot what made you want to lose the weight age I was 39 approaching my 40th birthday and it came to a point and I think you recognize that you go, actually, I need to do something about this. Because you go, like, my, my, are, you nearly, are you coming to 40? Not far. He's, yeah. he's talking to Mark. I'm talking yeah. to Mark. Mark, Mark just yeah. went, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two years. So it, there comes a point where you have a record. My, one of my best mates described it as it's halfway to death. Oh, yeah, and you nice. go, yeah. yeah, And you go, it's well, true. okay, I'll get that. You know, and, and if you're halfway, well, actually, I ain't going to get much further if I'm at this point. And they are, it is a point of reflection where you go, what have I achieved? What have I done? How am I going? Where am I going to go in the future? And if you... I, it made me go actually there isn't much of a future unless I do something about so, it so, so that did, was it so did you look at your life and think I've done really well 
I've got all these, you know, really successful, but the one thing I'm struggling here is, is my weight. Is that yeah, well, it was yeah. weight and drink, and they were both big, big things in my life. So you go, I, and I needed to, I mean, the first thing I looked at was when I Googled how to lose weight and what how to do it, I, I looked up the beer diet to see if it existed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think, can I drink 16 pints of ale a day and not eat anything and lose weight? It doesn't exist. It's not there. <laughs> so that was that was a crushing blow. <laughs> so, so how much were you drinking then? Oh, loads. I mean, I I was quite happily. Um, I didn't drink during the day, but it was after service. It, it was yeah. after service, and then into the early hours every single day, like every day, and a, a, a large amount lager. What, what could you do on a good night? Oh, mate, I'm well into double figures of lager, and then I start really? on the gins. Yeah, Jeez. yeah, yeah, yeah. On oh, no, that's a good night. Like that's a good night. Not yeah. a, you know that that isn't wasn't a standard Wednesday. Standard Wednesday might be like six or seven pints and half a bottle of gin. I don't know. Yeah, but wow. you go. You know, it, it became it became quite a. It was a big part of my life. Just that, but it's actually it's not something that I regret. It's not something that I look back on and go, oh my god, I I regret it in the fact that I think I've spoilt it for myself that I don't drink at all now and that I know I can't because it that switch would go back on so I just don't do it and I go but I don't regret it in any way because it goes when you're driving a business forward you need a form of release you need something to let go you don't drink at all no total for five years now. that's a huge decision yeah especially in your industry huge actually and then people say that and you think oh yeah it must be hard it's not it's much easier it's easier in my industry because i now see it as something that i sell to people it's something that is part of the produce like i don't eat every steak that comes in (laughs) you know i don't go i go okay so i've got this amazing produce that is that is now seen as wine or whiskies or distillation of gin or beautiful well looked after beers they're things that we're very proud of that we now that i view it as something that we sell to guests rather than something that I have to consume. <laughs> but how long was that decision process? How long did it take? Was it you woke up one day and went, that's it, I'm doing it? No, or was it, it, it over took weeks about three or, or four months building towards it. So I knew it was mm. coming and I was working it out and, and I was going, okay, was the, so this is the point. And you can always find the excuse, oh, next week is yeah. Dave's leaving due and the week after that is so-and-so's birthday and then after that is, you can always find it, but there has to be the cut-off point somewhere. And how do you feel now? Oh, way better. Yeah. I mean, like way miss better. It? Yeah, I miss it. I probably miss it every day just a little bit like you go oh yeah that'd be nice and then and then it's gone yeah. and because I know that I can't enter into that space and then some days some, I won't even think about it for two or three weeks sometimes and then you couldn't just do a pint of beer then no, no there's no, no such thing as a pint of beer if we, if we had a pint of beer right now Tim it would end up at, well it's, it's quarter past three now it's 12 hours time <laughs> we'd be in string fellows <laughs> I wouldn't as Mark knows I'm such a lousy drinker like he, got, he got me to drink old Rosie not so long ago and I couldn't even see it's like a cider 8% cider yeah. he was fine yeah. I couldn't see it was yeah. like so much but yeah no okay then I'd be in street fellows with Mark yeah. Yeah. you two would be fine I'd, yeah. be, I'd be outside we'd have put you in a taxi yeah. oh dear um, when you were when you were putting the weight or what, what were you always big or did you start yeah putting- no I'd always been at, like I've always been quite a lump from from a from a young kid but not not massively overweight but I've always been like I played a lot of rugby when was, I was younger I'm wasn't a- there a stage where it started piling on didn't you notice it going on yeah but it was something that I didn't really pay attention to because it was like when it 
massively active in kitchens when you're when you're moving and doing stuff it doesn't it didn't affect my work it didn't affect like i was when i was basement kitchens in london i was still trying to be the fastest the quickest the best the strongest cook that i could be and then when i set up my own business you you're driving things forward and you're moving things on and you're not it wasn't getting in the way i mean i was still you know bending up and down moving around i was still physically moving and doing stuff but at the same point it was um it was it really didn't affect but in terms of business wise we just won two mission stars i won great british menu i was on i was doing stuff on tv i was writing books things were all successful but it was a case of um it, it was just an agent so it, i could i couldn't look at the weight having held us back in any way in any way it was that that was at the pivotal point of us going forward so that's uh, why i don't look at it as a regret thing because i see that as something that was an escapism of the driving things forward if that makes sense uh, how, how long does it take before it starts started really kicking in losing a lot of weight for you anyone who's oh, listening stra- to this who's stra- well straight away. I, do you know what the biggest thing so so many people will tell you so many different ways to lose weight and I thought you know what I'm not going to listen to any of them I'm going to go with my heart my soul and my feeling and what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go low carbohydrate I'm not going to weigh myself like every week like people do I didn't look at the numbers I didn't I just went you know I just get on it do I feel fitter yeah do I feel better can I do I suddenly find myself going up and down stairs quicker or doing two steps at a time are my clothes getting looser am I like everything about it you just start going with how you feel because the moment that you get hung up about it and it becomes this big obsessive thing it starts going back to the food thing it becomes it becomes unenjoyable and if you're not there's some people that might need to lose one or two stone right and you could well they could go through 16 18 weeks of of pain and shit to get to where they want that's no problem they can look at the numbers but if you've got 12 stone to lose that's not going to happen overnight you go actually this is a journey that i got to go on so if i'm going to do it i've got to embrace it and you go i'll go with trying to make sure that i enjoy it that doesn't mean to say that you haven't got to be, you've got to be selfish. You've got to be um, strong-willed and you've got, you've got to be able to not give up. But at the same point, if you become obsessive with the numbers, it doesn't, it doesn't help because then it becomes, it feels like a regime rather than a way of life. And it needs to be the way of life. For change term. the way. Yeah. You've got to change your life. That's, yeah. that's, that's the key to it. Isn't exactly. It, yeah, yeah. The way your outlook to it all. Yeah. Um, so low carbohydrate is what, what worked for you. For me. But the problem with that is, and I do reckon it doesn't work for everyone because you're, what you're doing is isolating a food group. So you're going, I'm not having it. And for some people that works great for other people's just, it's not good at all because they, they just don't get on with it. You know, we've been brought up for years that our breakfast is cereal and toast. Yeah. You know, well, if that's three meals a day, that's the first one gone. <laughs> you go, well, how do I get out of that? What yeah. do I do? You know, you can't have omelets every so morning for I, breakfast. I, I still eat bread but i cut down massively on bread because because <laughs> it just seemed that everyone was saying it <clears throat> and then and then it was uh, simon always laughs at this because it was when i was told by bill Oddy that i couldn't feed ducks bread anymore and i'm like if the ducks can't even eat the bloody stuff i'm not eating it yeah so, <laughs> yeah so simon calls it the duck diet that i'm on which yeah. is i do eat so I, I love a burger so i'll eat burger with bread and i'll eat i'll eat all that sort of stuff so i, I do it but i cut down massively and you're right in in the morning it was always toast or, yeah. or bagels or something like that because it's quick and it's easy and yeah. it's what you do and it, yeah. it's, it and you think but so if you're trying to isolate a food group that yeah. makes it quite difficult so i do recognize that it doesn't work for and, everybody but it is the one that worked for me and has it changed you in other ways like have you noticed mentally you're different and things like that um yeah in positive outlook um in 
the ability to actually physically get crack on and do stuff. Yeah. Um, just, and do you exercise? Yeah. Every day. And what so are you doing? I, so I do, I do, um, three, two hour sessions a week in the gym with a personal trainer. And then if I'm not in the gym, I'll do, I do, a, I do, I try and do, a, I swim a kilometer as quickly as I can. So I will always do something. And that's not, um, the gym, the, the gym has become slightly obsessive where I talk about not getting obsessed with numbers. I've now become obsessed with like trying to build on weights and trying yeah. to get personal bests and trying to, do, but they're always good because they're, they're actually, that's a point of you're recognizing you're getting fitter. And that's where exercise does come in. Exercise isn't going to make you lose weight, but exercise will help the motivation to lose weight with a diet. So if you swim a kilometer and it takes, I don't know, 30 minutes, but you know, and you start losing weight and three months down the line, it's taking you 28 minutes. Then all of a sudden you recognize that yeah. you've got better at something. Yeah. There's no other reason for that apart from you've lost weight and you're healthier. If you want to, if you want to lose weight, look at the diet before you look at the exercise. It's always important. And exercise always. is good, but the diet is where it re- it's what you're eating. Yeah. Everyone who comes on my show who's absolutely ripped, by the way, like all those guys with the muscles and everything, yeah. and they always go, yeah, you build it in the kitchen. It's not built in the gym. It's no. built in what you're eating in the kitchen. Yeah. That's how they build their abs and stuff. Yeah. Like, and it generally, it's high-protein it, diets and things. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and that suits, I mean, super bodybuilders and that. that yeah. That's fine. Uh, 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 but it's not, it's not always deemed as the, necessarily the healthiest route and that you kind of understand that and it's, it's about being healthy in mind as well so if you do you ever do any running on a treadmill or anything no it's Cause, not because because it's really bizarre because when I, I used to run with weights on me and yeah. the difference it makes i'm gonna sound fattest here or whatever the expression yeah. is but but by just having a few more pounds on you the difference on everything it makes yeah so when you're losing weight in the gym it must be an amazing experience that everything just becomes easier and easier and easier yeah i it does and actually the funny thing it's funny you mentioned that so we used to do so where I do like on leg day at the gym and you do calf raises where you drop your legs down and you just push upwards yeah. from the calves like I've started doing it now with weights strapped onto a belt so all of a sudden you put a 25 kilo uh, weight on the belt all of a sudden you start going my god and that's that's 25 kilo yeah. well I've lost way over that imagine <laughs> trying to do imagine trying to do this with 75 kilo yeah. no wonder that's my knees you, are fucked yeah, that's what you're doing. yeah yeah did you ever look up David Goggins I told I you I did look up David Goggins he's, and it's funny because he's mad isn't me, it? yeah I meant it and actually two days after you told me about him my head sh- one of my head chefs Nick who's open in London head chef in London he said yeah I've come across this book guy called David Goggins oh, he's, he's my fucking hero. mental he's here, I was like, hero. and he told me about when he took on marathons and he yeah. just ran and ran I was like what yeah. like it's a, we, we haven't got enough time to explain on this podcast what David Goggins has done but you get a chance G-O-G-G-I-N-S look him up this guy's immense the ultra marathons he does unbelievable guy like and the, 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 he's just his story's yeah. fantastic isn't it what yeah no yeah. he was he was obese and then he wanted to get in the US Marines and he taught and he, and he, I don't think he was allowed in because he couldn't couldn't do something and he was, he was scared of water or something so he went back and he taught himself how to do that and then he got into ultramarathon the guy just doesn't yeah. give up then he did, decided to run a marathon and he and he came yeah. third or something and it was just like in his first marathon with no training or and something. He, it was just like <laughs> the one comment he said uh, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm quoting him here badly because it wasn't this but if you're comfortable in life you're not living was kind of the 
emphasis of it you've got to make yourself uncomfortable and when you're uncomfortable and you're not sure what you're doing and you're then you're living and i just thought that's kind of a good way of going through life make yourself uncomfortable it is somebody pointed out something very similar to me about comfort zone if you see it as a circle and then if you're in that circle the whole time that's in your comfort zone that's fine yeah that comfort zone is never going to get bigger unless you step out of that circle and then all of a sudden that becomes bigger you know the circle then becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and you just become more comfortable in loads of different things and i i like i like that outlook stoicism that's what it is isn't it so um uh, there's questions I ask everybody who comes on this podcast. So yes. I thought I'd ask them for you as well. Yeah. Um, what one piece of advice would you like to give our listeners that has been invaluable to your life? Just say yes to everything. Just say yes to it all. I mean, that's what I've gone through life doing. I've just said yes to, do you want to do this? Yeah. I mean, what really is the worst thing that can happen? It's not yeah. that bad. You end up in a nightclub and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you end up in... Yeah, let's do that. Yes. I mean, yeah, but then it's a memory, isn't it? It's yeah. a great... It's you a know, story. everything is built on. And actually, there's no such real thing as failure because they're all learning curves. They're all things that you can build on. They're all character building. And that's, that's the one thing that I, w- I would say that... My mum, I grew up as a single parent family, was re- really supportive about doing also whatever you want to do, just make sure that you, you know you try your hardest at doing it. And that's great and that's amazing. But alongside that, that I've learned myself that if you say yes to stuff, it, things happen. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a bad thing and even if it's a really bad thing and it's going and it goes horribly wrong you've learned from it and you know that the next time when that comes along you know how to deal with it better you know uh, if i say yes to this i know how to avoid it doing that it's just a journey you've just written a new question that i'm going to start asking people what's your best failure okay what is your best failure uh my best failure was um probably going into business we're in a small bar round the corner from the hand of flowers it uh must have been about 10 years ago with business partners and they didn't have the same outlook on life and the same outlook on um how to drive things forward as i did so it suddenly became quite sour and quite bitter that you feel that you're working harder than them and it's not and and you go okay so that ended up wrapping up costing quite a bit of money and you just go okay so we learn from that so if you do something else with business partners for example the butchers you need to have the same person the butcher has to have the same with you so that's hence why the butchers is successful because andy the business partner is the same person yeah and, and that's really important yeah and there's more to businesses than just making money oh god yeah, yeah. it is it's about people and it's mm. about it's about an understanding if you if and now i get people like richard branson and lord sugar and you know guys that go on and and their their excitement for business is about making money that's mm. what drives their business it's not about necessarily their enthusiasm for life is about that's making money Mm. like my enthusiasm for it is and that's where they get their kick from I think yeah Lord Lord Sugar does I think Richard Branson is really involved in world issues and stuff I think he is now because he's 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 got so much money he's got nothing else to do (laughs) 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 All right. what mistake do people make Um, I tell you what we should do on this one we should do cooking Okay. what what mistake do people make when they're doing cooking well I mean we've probably already covered it but you've got to read the recipe first before (laughs) you actually cook the dish read the recipe first make sure you understand it then cook the dish and if you can do the prep the chopping the prep stuff beforehand like it feels like it's always cooking that. in I, backwards I do it like I'm on telly now yeah so I chop it all like Simon does yeah. and I get it all in little bowls then I cook and how much easier does it make it yeah I always imagine there's a camera yeah. and- <laughs> 
do you talk to yourself yeah, as you're going along? And now I'm. Uh, <laughs> you interviewing a, a different guest exactly. every time as you're cooking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, where, where are you on seasoning food? Because um, what I've learned from Simon, let, let's do a steak, for instance. You get a good piece of meat, get it room temperature. Yeah. He taught me that, and it does work. Yeah. Letting it rest works. We yeah. know, but season heavily so we season heavily with salt and pepper or whatever you're going to do but generally salt how are you with that yeah i'm a massive seasoner of salt i like right. it and i know that there's salt gets a big kickback and everyone says that you know there are salt contents and it is unhealthy and that i agree i agree wholeheartedly with all of that like you know you'd be a fool not to but at the same point i do think that food needs to taste amazing and if you are eating you're not going to cook like that every week you know you might cook a steak like that maybe once a week once every two weeks something like that yeah. and you go you season it properly make sure it's tasty make sure it's flavoursome so yeah I am I'm I'm in the Simon camp that season it seasoning, seasoning is good yeah. seasoning is great it okay. makes things taste lovely any life hacks these could be travel tips or anything you want yeah I for, for me it's all like always travel on a plane in comfortable trousers that's the one thing like I won't get on a plane unless I'm wearing a nice pair of tracky bottoms I hate it even if it's a short flight like feeling weird in jeans and a belt and a thing and if you can really take your shoes off as well because and get up and walk like I hate like I, I do quite like plane travel I love travel I quite but at the same point it's got to be comfy See, and I like even think, if you're in like budget seats and you're next yeah. to each other and squashed up you've got to try and make yourself feel comfy yeah but I always think if it crashes I'd rather be in jeans would you yeah why is that I just think I'd survive better in jeans than a pair of yeah, they're thicker, bottoms. aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're thicker than a pair of velour tracksuit <laughs> bottoms. You got more like you got, got less likely of your legs getting ripped apart they, in a pair of jeans and they got in a plane crash. They got, they got pockets as well, and you can carry stuff in pockets. <laughs> I, do you know what I do? Is I generally when I'm got, um, take off and landing, and uh, and also most of the journey as well, I try and make sure I have my passport still on me and my money in case we crash then at least I can get out of the country in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually thought about this quite a lot, haven't you? <laughs> I have thought about crashing a lot, yeah. Doesn't everyone, when they get on a plane, with those stupid idiots stand up there and go, if the plane crashes, like, don't tell me the plane's going to crash. I don't want to know. I have to be honest, I've given up listen. paying attention to that because yeah. I just go, do you know what? If we hit the ground at 350 miles an hour... We're dead. Yeah. It, no one cares you, where the nearest exit right, there'll be a lot you, of exits right, do you, <laughs> no do you not go in there because well, I'm kind of on that same thing but when I go in there I go where's my nearest exit Yeah, and then I go just remind myself where's the life jacket and where does the oxygen come from oxygen comes from above life jacket comes from below I do actually yeah I do check that yeah. just in case just, just in case, case. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then when we're flying business or first as we do Tom these days you know yeah. successful guys like us where on earth have they hidden the life jacket on this <laughs> on this bed I'm lying on no, <laughs> <laughs> no I'm more like where's my hot towel <laughs> <laughs> they're actually putting double beds in them now I think are they yeah apparently but you know they always say keep your seatbelt on in turbulence what happens if you're in a double bed where do you do what you're gonna have a double seatbelt across the double bed i don't know can you i don't know anyway uh not for likes of me right so we've done life hacks comfortable trousers um any books you recommend 
Um, well, it, I, the one that you've given me here looks yeah, amazing. The things you can see only when you slow down. Yeah. Larousse Gastronomique is, an, <laughs> is another amazing one. Right. Um, but uh, to be honest, if it's about um, inspiration, it is for me, it's the White Heat Cookbook. And that, that transcends Ooh. for so many different things. So it's Marco Pierre White's White Heat Cookbook. Well, the one you spoke about earlier. Yeah, the oh, one right. I spoke about earlier. But that, that's because it not only is it... Um, it's an exceptional chef book but it's a beautiful coffee table book and, a, right. a, and if you dig deeper into it it's an incredible journey of the British food scene so Mark up here White's White Heat Okay, what it's, black, is it? it's black and white. Uh, it's black it, and white. We could swap out LaRousse for it. Maybe could. maybe I'll do a monochrome shelf. Yeah, we yeah. just do black, white, black, white. Yes. Um, so uh, it, this is a really unfair question. You can say if you don't want to answer it at all. Where would you go to eat? Who's Is there anyone's restaurant you'd like? Is that too hard for a chef? No, to no I mean, there are so many places and we're very, very lucky. And so much of food really does depend on the mood. And more importantly, the company you're with and the sort of thing we get, like we said earlier, like some of the best meals you could be having is fish and chips on a beach yeah. in, the, in the wet and cold. But if you were looking for a very special occasion dinner to go and have something that's amazing or, or a lunchtime, I would say Claude Boz's Bebendum restaurant in London, who's, he's a two Michelin star chef that's well on his way to three stars. I mean, it's a, he's a phenomenal cook and it's in the old Michelin building yeah. in Chelsea. And it's the I've top. Been there. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. They have so, the oyster bar on the ground that's not his is it or no well he's the, taking over that as well so he's making the oysters he? and caviar space and it's really it's very simple cooking but upstairs that dining room that's all it's all been through renovation it's beautiful thick plush blue carpets but the stained glass yeah. on the summertime in the sunshine coming through that window yeah. is amazing it's got Conran in there hasn't it it, it yeah, has I yeah yeah, place, yeah yeah and it's just and it's exceptional food it's absolutely and it's a very special place so that's a special occasion amazing place to go I'll try that one okay um, what is the meaning of life to be honest like all of us I think we're probably all trying to work it out but for me it's, it's weird because you question it more when it, uh, my son's two and a half years old and it's the first time I've started asking that because before I didn't really it made no sense it, I didn't really care but it is now I'm much, I'm so much more trying to find a balance between work life happiness even though my work isn't work but you do find yourself doing things that then don't involve you means you're missing out him so I think the meaning of it is just finding a balance of happiness and time and I think after that you can't ask for much more else can you not really thanks so much for doing the podcast if people want to follow you um, you're, you're, I am on you're, Instagram you're, and Instagram. I am on Twitter. What's your, what's your Instagram name? What's at your Twitter name? Chef Tom Kerridge, and they're both, both the same. At both Chef Tom Kerridge. People want to book into your restaurants. What's the waiting list like? Uh, it depends. <laughs> uh, the coach is completely non bookable. Yeah. He's just turned up. The hand of flowers for a weekend is about five to six months. Wow, for, for, that's brilliant. Isn't for it? A weekend. Yeah, well, it, it is and it isn't. It's something that from a business point of view go that's amazing we're fully booked for that but actually from like from my point of view we set up to be a, an accessible yeah. kind of local pub restaurant and now we're you know people are booked six months in advance it makes it almost not accessible and that and that of, on a personal scale it's something that it does great on me a little bit but from a business point of view it allows great, you to yeah. grow and you, so I'm caught in a little bit of a dichotomy of whether I like it or not how many you must keep tables back though mustn't you no we don't do that no we've what, turned you know, for your celebrity friends no, there's no we on. have four always, bar stalls at the bar that always, are non-bookable you can always slide Tim Lovejoy in can't Tim, you Tim Lovejoy <laughs> Tim Lovejoy we will always find a table <laughs> Tim Lovejoy yeah Tim Lovejoy we will always find a table but we have 
we I mean we have turned the likes of, sadly away David Beckham we have turned like really? uh, well if we got 15 tables and we have four bar stools that are non-bookable but if you know if you were to ring up Tim we'd go yeah let's squeeze Tim on the bar that's no problem but they didn't want to sit at the bar so right. you go well what can you and you understand that because and if you've only got 15 tables and yeah. you can't do it then you can't do it can you you know and, yeah. and with all due respect to David Beckham phenomenal guy amazing ambassador great football player think of all the clubs he played for now amazing what a phenomenal career I think he's incredible from a restaurant point of view is he any more important than Dave from Bolton who's been waiting six months to get in he's no more important right that's a, good, that's a good attitude and he'll understand that yeah, yeah. you'd hope he would well, yeah. well I hope he has he hasn't tried booking again since so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he didn't yeah. <laughs> mate that's fantastic thank you so much again for doing uh, the podcast it's been, it's been it's been brilliant and we'll see you back on Sunday brunch very shortly I hope pleasure I can't All wait right. mate thanks Tim cheers mate that's Tom Kerridge. What a lovely bloke he is. I learnt lots. I think he's uh, he's just really he's just a really really nice person. He's got a lot of good stories there, and um, uh, I think he had to get out quickly because you like him too much. <laughs> oh, I bent his ear a bit at the end, didn't I? I told him about my homemade ice cream recipe as well. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Oh, yeah, I was embarrassed for you. Oh. <laughs> no, you. No, I like the fact that you were doing that with him, and then he came back with a you 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 sort of gave him a, a like a, an alien substance that no one knows of and he came back with another one yeah what was your substance xylitol what the hell is that that it's, can't be good for you look it up tim look it up you know you like your google thing i won't put the jingle in i'll, I'll talk over you while you're doing it okay it's made from the bark or the sap of uh, i think what's, it's a like a what's birch, it called xylitol right. uh, um x y <laughs> well you're already like i've got it yeah yeah, what a ridiculous thing. What sort of word begins X Y? And it's um, it's a it's a sugar substitute that has much less um, much less uh, uh, carbohydrates and sugar says, than sugar. It says here poisons you. Uh, oh God, yes, because everyone has to disagree with everything, don't they? It says it's natural sweetener which poisons your liver. And it and says is is a sugar alcohol used yeah. as a sweetener. Yeah, and, mm, it's, and. it's um actually actively good for your teeth. So if you have it before you go to bed, you, you can you can get little churn, like um they're called pepper smiths that, that use xylitol to make their sweets. Uh and then it's so you can have them before you go to bed. May reduce tooth decay. Uh its formula is CH two OH bracket CHOH bracket three CH2OH. <laughs> you can't say that this this podcast isn't informative, can you? Uh, that's very funny. That that just doesn't sound very um, uh, healthy. I everything has a, everything has that. You look up this. That's just the makeup. That's a molecular makeup, isn't it? Everything has a molecular makeup. Even your stupid face has a molecular makeup. <laughs> Um, oh, it may cause uh, a gastrointestinal discomfort. Yeah, you get a bit windy. Flatulence. You get a little bit windy. And diarrhea. No, nonsense. You have, Ir- to have, you have to... Irritable bowel syndrome. You have to have sort of 20 teaspoons a day of that to, get, to even get that. So, I use a couple. So what do you... How, talk us through the recipe very quickly. Um, coconut milk uh, in, a, in a pan on the hob, r- low... Put the xylitol in it so it sort of dissolves into the, like you like you dissolve sugar into the coconut milk, and then a sort of tablespoon of um, 
cocoa powder, which doesn't have any sugar in it. And so you have a sugar-free ice cream and it's very good. Like most sugar alcohols, xylitol has a laxative effect because sugar alcohols are not fully broken down during the digestion. Hmm. However, that effect varies from person to it's person. It's like, ste- you know, people use stevia. It's a natural No, sugar. what's that? What's it, what, was the, what was the thing he came back oh, with? Ether- oh, I, I have heard of it when he said it and I can't pronounce it. Ethetol. Maybe something like that. But um, stevia is a, is a plant-based one that you can use. But apparently, I don't use it because apparently it's got quite a distinctive flavor. Xytol is fatal to dogs. <laughs> dogs can't eat it I'm it's amazing like, yeah. that I tell you about a thing that I think you'd like and you find everything wrong with it I, you <laughs> know what it makes you a bit windy you, know what, you, you can't feed you can't feed any you can't you feed what, chocolate Mark, to dogs Mark, I'm, can't you oh yeah I know that you you know what I'm just doing my research so will you bring some ice cream around next time you come oh I, I will actually you can't it'll melt by the time you get it, it takes you about three hours doesn't it <laughs> Trains it should take late. me about 40 minutes <laughs> yeah all right. Well, listen, that's fantastic. I thought Tom was amazing. He was what, brilliant. What a lovely bloke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just really good. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Please let us know what you thought of it. Um, contact us as always. You can uh, tweet me at Tim Lovejoy. You can email us, dearlovejoypodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us. Rate us five stars if you want. Um, we will see you all very shortly. So for the time being, peace and love, joy. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dear Lovejoy podcast, written and hosted by Tim Lovejoy and produced by Mark Augustine. If you would like to contact us, then our email address is dearlovejoypodcast at gmail.com. Or Tim is on Twitter at Tim Lovejoy and on Instagram at Tim Lovejoy underscore official.